0: Welcome to the Strong Enough Podcast, your relationship wellness podcast. I'm your host, Claudia. Today's guest is going to share with us how two tours in Iraq brought him home craving normalcy. He decided to write a book and is now hoping that other veterans and their loved ones can gain support through his words and stories. Please help me in welcoming Eric Herrera. Eric. Thank you so much for being here with me today. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing great as well. Uh, The weather has turned here a little bit in Colorado, so I am enjoying some (laughs) snow, um, which I'm apparently one of the few that enjoys around here. Uh, It's
1: not quite there yet here in Chicago. It turned 50, but it's not where it usually gets
0: dicey and icy. And I think you get a different kind of snow than I get um, because here it's really nice and fluffy and powdery. So um, that's why I love it. But enough about me. Um, I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, I'm uh, from Chicago. I've lived here all my life. Um, decided when I was around 19, I joined the military. lot of different things happened in my life and i just decided you know i need to get away and do other things i ended up going to germany and um stayed there for about three years and uh did two deployments while i was there to iraq um i've been out for maybe the last 10 years i got out in 2010 and um right now i'm living a more peaceful life than i have before
0: First off, I do want to say thank you so very much for your service. Without people like you, people like me would not be able to live life the way I enjoy it. So thank you for everything that you have done for us. That's no problem. So I want to talk a little bit about your deployments. I know that you have written a book. So we're going to get to the book, but tell me a little bit about your tours in Iraq.
1: Um, uh, a lot of, uh, political back and forth, which it always is, and, um, being in Germany, it's also kind of being deployed as it is. It's nothing like here back in the States where there's like large bases. I think like some bases are like 60,000 troops or something like that. We only had roughly about 5,000 in our whole little town. So it's a little bit different. Um. I was deployed in 06, 07. So it was kind of like with the height of the Iraq war. Um, during that time, Bush had his surge. So he sent in like 20,000 troops. We were there when that happened. Um, and uh, my first deployment was probably one of the more memorable ones. Um, a lot of things happened. And as um, my job title was, I was a bomb hunter. So I was a combat engineer and our mission during that time was to find roadside bombs on the side of the road. So troop movement could be a lot easier. Um, found a lot of IEDs, our first deployment in Baghdad. And compared to my second one, it was um, not like a cakewalk, but it was a more relaxed environment. Um, we ended up in a small town uh, called Hilla, which is about an hour and a half south of Baghdad. Um, is more made famous for where, uh, Saddam had his mass graves, um, of all the people he killed. Um, so when we were there, the people were trying to rebuild the town, um, to what it originally was. And, um, it's really just a tale of two deployments.
0: What led you to become a bomb hunter?
1: (laughs) Uh, Mistake? Well, not really. Mistake. Um, when I joined, my mother said uh, not to do infantry, but I think I picked the more the worst job of it. Um, I looked up combat engineer, and the description for it was um, clearing minefields and building fortifications. But those descriptions are more for World War II and uh, Vietnam soldiers. My uncle was in Vietnam was actually a combat engineer as well so he gave me a few pointers but during the Iraq war there wasn't necessarily minefields they were more like in Afghanistan but the big thing was were the IEDs that were on the side of the roads so being combat engineers we knew explosives and um, what to look for how they operate things of that nature they decided to put combat engineers at that job.
0: I remember hearing you on another podcast or a Facebook live talking about, I'm not sure if it was a barracks that you were in, but you were like in building C floor four. So C four. Yeah. The- so
1: my, my college dorm was building C four floor. So it was C four. So that kind of put, uh, that should have gave me a wake up call. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. It's another unique thing.
0: Uh, so I don't, you know, I don't think we really have to go into detail about what you experienced in Iraq, but I want to talk about when you came home, I feel like you had some struggles. Would you talk a little bit about that and how it was returning, not only from the military, but you were also returning to the U.S. in quite some time since you'd been in Germany as well?
1: Um, yeah, the culture of it all. Did shift. It was almost kind of like I was in a like a like a completely different dimension because I was in the military from 2005 to 2010. <clears throat> That's when Twitter, uh, YouTube, and the iPhone and all that was coming out. So I really had no idea what those things were, and I had to come back and you know reintegrate myself with it, especially. In Germany, languages is different, so seeing an exit sign was a, uh, a shocker, just being able to read English off like a highway sign or something. Um, but as you are saying, like coming back, a lot of soldiers have the problems where they don't have a plan when they come out. And that was one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure when I did leave, I had a plan. Um, I wanted to, to join the Chicago Police Department. Um, I ended up getting denied. By that, I tried to join TSA. I got denied as well because of my hearing. Um, they they told me I had the hearing of a sixty year old man, and I was twenty three. And um, so I got denied a lot of those jobs. And I was kind of like, "Oh man, where what am I going to do now?" Because I those were my plans. And um, you know, I did odd jobs trying to get on my feet. And I decided that I was. Gonna go back to school since I did my my time. I was able to get the GI Bill and it paid for all four years of my education and including my housing. So I really didn't have to worry about anything like that. So I got my degree in in uh, business management, and that right now I'm a property manager. But during those ten years, it was rough for me because a lot of the memories were with me and especially during my first deployment where we lost soldiers and speaking with family members um a lot of the family members got like half truths of what happened to their loved ones and being there for those incidences I wanted them to know the truth because I know there was a lot of half truths some lies um people saying different things and made me upset that I want them to know what the truth was so Um, a lot of them gave my blessing to write my book because they wanted to know what happened and being able to write, um, relieved a lot of stress on my shoulders.
0: It took you several years to be able to write the book. Did you think about it early on and just weren't ready or did you not think of writing it until you did and then just kind of jumped in full steam?
1: during all my years at school i always like sucked at english so um writing a book was kind of the farthest thing away from my mind it wasn't until actually i went back to college um i had english an english teacher who was actually a linguist and he helped me understand english a lot better and how it's framed and everything and i started getting A's in english so uh, you know what um maybe I will write. I don't know, but it wasn't until 2009. I actually had um, a mental breakdown in my kitchen. Just all the memories and emotions were coming back. And I just just let out this horrendous scream almost in the middle of my kitchen. And I felt a hell of a lot better, but I knew that there had to been a lot more to do. So what I was trying to do, I wanted to make videos tell the stories of what happened but i'm not that too much of um social media savvy so i wasn't sure how i'd be able to get my message out there that's when i decided you know maybe i should write and i just wrote about one story and i felt a little bit better so i just kept writing kept writing all those little stories were off my shoulders i didn't have to carry that burden anymore and i have halfway during this writing I said you know what I'm not going to hold anything back I'm going to tell every single emotion that I had and it was rough um, but the more I wrote the better I felt and the quicker I got it done because I didn't have to have that burden anymore it's down on paper I don't have to carry the memories and a lot of the things that I did write was shocking to a lot of my family and friends and but they have a better understanding of what I was going through
0: as you were writing, do you feel like that was the best kind of therapy that you could have done to deal with what you went through?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think when I, was at, when I was at college, I walked through the library and there was a lady there who had a table out and it said Veteran Resource Center. So, you know what, I'm, I'm going to just check it out, you know, and I talked to her and she says, you know, we provide therapy. Uh, well, where are you located? And I found out that this resource center was located about eight blocks away from my house. I never knew this place ever existed. And I kind of wish I would have known more about it ahead of time, but I didn't. Um, I decided to go. And telling my story, I really felt nauseous. I felt sick. I was saying things that I never actually said before. And... It almost felt like my lower body was gone. That's just how sickening I felt. And I told her, you know what? I can't I can't do this anymore. I'm not ready. I'll come back. Um, and I never did. But um, about four years later, that's when I decided to write the book.
0: I know that quite often, and it is getting better, but men particularly struggle with, Talking about feelings, talking about emotion, and being open about mental health challenges. Did you feel that? And if so, did you feel like it was compounded even more by being a veteran?
1: Um, Coming back, we would talk with the guys about the different things that happened, but those were actually the only people I could talk to because they understood what we were going through coming back I really never told anyone I couldn't really confide in anybody and yeah I grew up with that stigma of <laughs> yeah you're a man you keep it in um you don't tell your emotions and but the more I was talking with people like my friends and um they wanted to learn what what I went through and it was a big help but yeah I mean I have to say that that stigma is still around and um, I don't believe it anymore. And I just hope a lot of other guys do too.
0: (laughs) I do as well. And that, you know, is one of the reasons that we're here. I want to ask you about your book and how you think it helps loved ones of veterans, because I know that is often a big struggle when somebody does come back from a deployment, their loved ones don't know how to act or what to say or what to do talk to me a little bit about that and what advice you would give
1: i get asked that a lot family members coming up to me what should i do well there's really no blueprint for this um i could give you the best scenario just read what i went through i give you every emotion i felt and it gives you a better understanding on how to a well, lack of a better phrase, deal with their loved ones or help them. Um, and a lot of people say, yeah, it does help. but get a better idea of what they're thinking. Um, I struggle with it a lot. I, like I wouldn't make friends because I actually had that in my mind. I lost friends and I was thinking, well, I don't want to make new friends because I don't want to feel that same way when they're gone. I had that mindset for a very long time. Um, So that's another thing why veterans are kind of close to themselves because I'm pretty sure they've lost friends and they don't want to feel that same pain as I did.
0: How are you able to change that and to be able to put yourself out there and start to build new friendships and relationships?
1: it's hard i mean i had to change a lot of my mindset um there was a lot of things i couldn't even do um i couldn't even listen to music in my car while i drive i had to listen to talk radio because the music would bring back me bring me back to those memories um it's a slow pace it took me 10 years i mean there's no timetable of what it is it's just you have to um come to what you want to do or find something that helps you with those struggles i mean i I took up fish keeping for about five years um that's a tough hobby but it kept my mind off of what i was thinking and i was able to enjoy it at the same time you always have to find something to keep your mind off of what it is and when i finally had that mental breakdown in my kitchen i didn't need my fish tanks anymore and the fish tanks became more of a burden on me because i didn't need that coping mechanism anymore so i had got rid of them um but yeah you just have to find your thing i know every veteran has their own thing whether it's hiking or riding my uncle was riding motorcycles my other uncle was another vietnam vet his was photography find something that you're passionate about and keep it up as a hobby it gets your mind off a lot of that stuff
0: were you able to connect at all with your uncles over what you went through and what they probably went through as well?
1: Um, my one uncle was a combat engineer. Yeah, uh, He saw a lot of change in me when I would come back for leave. He would see it in my face right away and would want to talk to me instantly. Um, he went through a lot as well during his time in Vietnam, and he was also a Chicago cop for over 25 years so i mean he had his struggles through that my other uncle um he did too when he was a navy man so he really didn't have to um deal with the same kind of struggles every time we got together it was always a always a fight back and forth because my my uncle who's in the navy said uh one time him and him and his wife went back to vietnam for vacation and my uncle who was in who was in the army, uh, said, you crazy. You couldn't pay me to go back to Vietnam and have a big argument. And he asked me, he's like, would you, would you go to Iraq for vacation? I said, hell no, I'm not going to go back there for vacation. So it's a, it's a joke that we had for a long time about it, but yeah, they helped a lot.
0: What else helped you through that? The fish keeping was a big thing for you. You said when you had that mental breakdown, you kind of let that go. It became a burden. What else have you continued to do for yourself to keep your mind well?
1: It was mainly the writing. Also doing these podcasts have been a bigger help. I found out a lot of times that I, when I do these um It's not my responsibility, but it's my opportunity to get the awareness out there for veterans that are struggling because now the number has gone up now to 22 veteran suicides a year. Um, Only about five years ago, it was 20. So the number is rising really quickly. Um, And since I've been doing these, a lot of people have been um, speaking out. I see billboards now on the highway about veteran suicide and hotline numbers, but a lot of those hotline numbers really don't help. You're probably put on hold for a while. Even VA hospitals, you have to wait six months just to get an appointment. Um, but I, there has to be more, um, more advertisement, I think, about these resource centers that I never even knew that was right next door to me. Um, I know I'm more fortunate because I'm in a bigger city a lot of soldiers are in a lot of small towns and their resource center might be two, three hours away. So, I mean, it's need to have a better uh, chance so these soldiers could help themselves.
0: What can we do? I mean, you said more advertising, letting people know about the resources that you didn't know about. What else can we do, do you think, to help our veterans when they're struggling?
1: Um, I know here in chicago they're building um homes so like uh, apartment complexes but as soon as they go up they're filled so i mean it's uh i don't know it's just a, a thing about more awareness about helping them out i mean even the town that i'm in we do drives now for homeless veterans uh, we've been doing it for like the last two years so just giving um, hygiene supplies or some food or things like that. I mean, and, it's, and we're just a small group. I mean, you could just start anything up and be able to do this. There's a lot of um, um, programs out there that do help homeless vets. So it's best to get in contact with some of them and ask how they can help.
0: What does it mean to you to be able to do those things now and help other people that maybe in a similar situation to you or that you were in when you were kind of at that lowest point.
1: Um, Another thing I, yeah, I also do, um, uh, my father, he actually owns a military Humvee. So I take the Humvee to car shows and a lot of the people that come around are former vets and they just come around and talk just talk about the memories that they had. That's another group of therapy. And even like a lot of soldiers are like, thank, thank you for bringing back these memories and able to talk and have 30-minute conversations, just talking about things. Um, just small little things like that do help out.
0: Tell me, you know, when when you have these conversations with people, is it hard for you? Does it does it bring up or kind of trigger some of your experiences? Or as you talk about it, does it become easier because you're talking with someone that, that kind of gets you?
1: It's become easier for me, even with people such as yourself, people that don't know. It has become a lot easier. I, I was at a point where I would just not speak or not just not give an answer at all. But I'm at that point now where... I realize that it's helping me and the more I could help myself and i help people at the same time. I'm content with it.
0: What would you say, because I know we do have military, uh, individuals, veterans that watch or listen. So if they are struggling, what advice would you give them?
1: Uh, the one thing that I could really give you is um, if you just Google veteran resource centers, there's a website where you could actually type in your zip code and it'll show you the next, the closest resource center. Um, even the, there, these places are not just like therapy sessions, they have outings, they have group talks, so other veterans come together and talk about their experiences as well. Um, there's so many other programs there that I didn't utilize that I know um, I know like single soldiers might um, be able to do, um, but uh, that's the best advice I could give them.
0: And I know we talked a little bit earlier about family friends, of veterans, but if if they are seeing a loved one suffer, what should they do? Should they also Google those resources and try to get their loved one to accept that help?
1: Yeah, I mean, just give them the information. I know <clears throat> I know. when I left the military, I was given a pamphlet of numbers and usually you're just left on hold and uh, with everything in the military, it's a slow process. So just being... Being in that mind frame is already putting you at a disadvantage. Um, so, I mean, you have to know it in yourself that there are places out there that actually really do care. Um, and I see a lot of them now are actually working for a lot of people. So it's getting better. I mean, it's, a, it's a long, uh, taken a while, but it's, it's trying to get better now.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. You know, if you felt like from when you got out, to now, do you think that the resources have improved or at least the accessibility to the resources have improved at all?
1: They have, um, especially with technology improving. i tell you a story. When I left, I got out um, in 2010, but I had three years left of inactive reserve, So I had to report to a base for like once a year the last three months, I would get a phone call, an email, and a recruiter come to my door almost every day asking me to come back. And it was nonstop. And I was like, no, unless you're going to give me some outrageous signing bonus or something like that, I'm never going to come back. And the day, the last day, my contract was completely done. I never got a phone call, email, or any recruiter come to my door ever again. And all during that time was me to come back. It was never anything for any resource center or help if I needed it or suicide line. Um, That was back in 2010, 2003, so in that time frame. Um, Now I see it's a lot better now. I see a lot of signs for different things so yeah it has gotten better
0: did you feel let down by the military for being treated that way for kind of just hounding you and hounding you to come back but not to really help you
1: um i could but how i looked at it was is that i made a trade with the military i gave my life for the military in exchange for a college education or experience or some to better me for the rest of my life. Um, That's how I saw it. I could have been, been a vendetta or have a vendetta against them because of that, but that just wouldn't solve the things that I was going through. Um, I got my education. I finished it on time and I just say, all right, that's the end of our relationship.
0: (laughs) I think that honestly is the best attitude to have because you aren't, weren't carrying that negativity with you. So were you able to always have that outlook and that attitude or did that come with time? That had to come with
1: time. Um, When I got out, I, I was a grumpy old man. Every little, every little thing would bother me. Uh, Kids, I was in a Best Buy, kids were running up and down the aisles and I was screaming at the kids to stop running and I realized, oh wow, I'm, I'm not back where I was so I can't be doing that. It took me a while to calm down or realize that um, people weren't the same as in the military. Uh, the bad thing about it is in the military, if you do like fuck up, they'll make an example out of you or put you in a place where you're out of sight, out of mind. If you do that here, yeah, that's, you can't do that. (laughs) So it it was just, like I said, it was a whole new world that I had to get adjusted to. And it did take me a while to uh, get used to it, but that discipline and uh, focus helped me with my college. I became a straight A student. I never thought of that in a million years I would ever be that way. But it did, that focus helped me a lot.
0: So in the end, good things definitely came from your experience.
1: Yeah, um, I explained that at the end of my book, how I feel about it now. And my I have no regrets about it.
0: Is there anything that you didn't say in your book that you wish you had?
1: Um, no. But there are some stories I had to leave out because I still had a lot of friends in the military. So I couldn't say those stories. Um, everyone says that that should be your your book too. Like, well, it's going to be a wait a couple more years for that one if that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I, I a lot of, a lot of things that I went through struggles in basic training. I, I struggled a lot in basic training because I was actually a hundred pounds over what I was supposed to be. I was about two I was about 270 pounds, um 6'3, and at 19 the military said I had to be 180 pounds. And during my 16 weeks of basic training, I actually lost about 60 to 70 pounds in those 16 weeks. Um, but I was still considered overweight and I looked like a string bean being at 6'3. Um I've, I never once, oh, actually one time, I actually made weight one time because I went up in age and the number went up. So <laughs> oh, that's the only time I ever made weight in the military. But uh, uh, different stories that I have during Germany, our uh, stories, also good times. It's not all depressing and everything, but I want to make sure that people understand what soldiers actually go through. I always say that my book is a small chapter and a bigger book. Because every soldier has their own story.
0: I read several reviews of your book, and that is kind of the attitude that many people had. First off, it was raving five-star reviews across the board. But, you know, people said it really did give that look into the real life of a soldier. How proud does that make you feel that you were able to put that on paper and give it out To so many people and give them that real life look
1: that was my number one focus that i was not going to regret anything that i put in there um if i did upset somebody it usually means that they did something wrong and if they wanted to come after me for it well then you're gonna have to own up for the mistakes you made and i as soon as i wrote the book i got a lot of friend requests, messages from people that I haven't spoke to in years or never even spoke to in my life, but I know who they are. I'm just gonna ignore it. Um, If you wanna come after me, come after me, but we're gonna have a chat.
0: (laughs) I presume it died down.
1: It did. Um, A lot of, uh, especially one of our, commanders that i felt was out of line uh he ended up uh dying of cancer about a month before i published the book so uh, uh i was like all right well at least may hey, i never mentioned him but uh i don't know i just say karma
0: <laughs> i hear you on that for sure <laughs> Tell me, what do you do for fun? What what makes you smile these days?
1: Um, my kids, mostly. Um, I Right now, I, I don't do fish keeping anymore, but I do keep some reptiles now. That's my new thing. Uh, <laughs> I had never thought I would keep reptiles, but hey. Um, i'm always willing to learn um i do car shows now i take the humvee go to different car shows even if it's small events in my town i bring the humvee and see the kids smile and everything just so they could enjoy it and experience the real thing that that's what gets me going just be able to teach people about it um i, I even started going on tiktok now just giving little things about the humvee and jokes and stuff so, um i that's just my new thing I'm enjoying it and learning at the same time I'm just taking it day by day I still have a lot of uh, quirks and everything Um, I can never wear a shirt and tie I couldn't even wear hoodies up until um, a while ago because things around my neck would bother me because of the gear I had I still can't wear a shirt and tie but I mean this is as close as I'm going to get I could wear polos but um, I spent two years, but I'm still healing. I don't think I'll ever stop healing.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I think a lot of people don't realize that and don't think about that, that any kind of trauma that we go through, you know, there, there's not one day that you just flip that switch and you're like, cool, I'm better now. Everything's great. Like it is an ongoing process. So thank you for saying that and sharing that and you know what not being able to wear a shirt and tie i mean that's not so bad right like
1: uh with the job i'm in yeah <laughs> but i mean i have tattoos too so i'm kind of like okay whatever I'm, I'm like the example of not workplace <laughs> environment
0: it's modern workplace environment and we we are going to get to those tattoos in a minute i want to ask you about your reptiles because i am a furry pet person so i want to hear a little bit about what you got going on with the reptile family
1: um my daughter is the one that's into it so she has a couple ball pythons um i wasn't like dead afraid of snakes but you know, I, if it comes along and wants to mess with me, yeah, you're going to deal with me. But I just had a whole nother outlook on it. So I'm learning that as well. And now I handle them no problem. I also have um, uh, a gecko. So uh, uh, Papua New Guinea uh, uh, Lichianus gecko uh, that I've had since it was three weeks old. I'm um, doing Um But yeah, it just... Uh, they're low, a lot more low maintenance than fish. So, so it's a better better environment for me.
0: I think people don't realize how much work fish actually are. Like not just a goldfish that you have in a tiny bowl. But like if you have aquariums, that's a lot of work that you got to deal with. Yeah, I got into
1: saltwater fish. Um I had a 36 gallon tank was uh, what I started out with and I ended up building my own pond. That's about 600 gallons. So, uh, it's like, it's sitting right here. So this red that you kind of see, Mm -hmm. that's the one side of it. So it goes way, it goes about five feet that way. So, I mean, I built my own pond and I kept Uh raising sharks. So, but yeah, the, yeah, it's a completely different, um, Thing, just water and fish you have to do a whole bunch of other things I never got into coral because that's a whole nother ball game and money down the drain <laughs> deal
0: I applaud your willingness to accept snakes into your life because like if I found a snake in my house I'd just have to burn the house down like I wouldn't I
1: <laughs> there would be no daughter. coming back <laughs> I told my daughter nothing more than five feet long.
0: Yeah, well, more power to you because I'll i just look at yours from afar and admire them. How about that? Yeah. Tell me, Eric, some wellness advice that you would give out, just generally speaking. What can people do to keep themselves well?
1: I think I'm the last person to tell anybody about that. I love to eat. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I, uh, I just do a lot of things. I, I go out and experience new things, hiking or go to like a festival or something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to go see anything. I mean, if it's going to get me out of the house, yeah, I'll, I'll go on an adventure. I don't care. Um, It can't be any worse than what what i did before that's what i tell a lot of people is like well uh, a lot of people tell me like why am i so like cool calm and collected or sometimes and i'm like well no one's dying right now so i really can't not gonna over exaggerate on things yeah i just i just go out and do different things even it could be some like wacky thing i go to renaissance fairs um i go to aquariums museums i mean zoos I mean I love animals so I like to do all those things so uh, yeah just being out just go out and do have something fun that's the best thing you could do
0: do you dress up for the renaissance fairs sometimes I love it I love it Eric we have talked about some heavy things so I want to move to something a little lighter and you mentioned it earlier tattoos so i love tattoos i have tattoos i'm getting more tattoos you also have tattoos you mentioned um i think it's perfectly professional and businessy to have tattoos now but tell me what is the favorite tattoo that you have
1: that's a tough one um every tattoo I have is, um, is means something to me. Um, on my left forearm, I have the four soldiers that died. I have the cross with the dog tags on them and have their names and the dates they passed. Um, on my right forearm, I have, uh, all my units that I was with and I have my kids on there. Um, on my back, I have Bomb Hunter across the back. Um, that's usually the one I get most talked about. <laughs> People come up to me and ask, uh, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Um, on my on my leg, uh, from my knee all the way down to my ankle, I have a portrait of my fish that I used to have. So one of my stingrays is on there. Uh, my eel that I had. And uh, my, my Australian stonefish that I had, uh, the, the <laughs> my, I don't know if my kids would like, but the stonefish means the most to me um, because my love for animals and the Australian stonefish is the most venomous fish in the world. And I kept two of them for about four years, about four years. Um, <laughs> they don't move. They just stand still. And they eat anything that comes by, but they helped me so much in my healing. And it was almost, I don't get like into the spiritual side of it, but the day where I actually felt like I didn't need my fish anymore, my stonefish that I had for four years, he got sick out of the blue and he passed shortly after that. So it was kind of like, I think he did his time to help me heal and it uh, was an emotional moment, but I mean, it's something that um, helped me out a lot, but uh, yeah, my kids, they mean the world to me too. So I have them, but I, I really do like my, uh, my mural that I have, I have round it too. It almost looks like um, how the guy did it. It almost looks like it's in my leg. So mm-hmm. he, Uh, shaped it around my calf and everything like that to make it look like it's like stuck in my leg. So it has a real nice effect to it.
0: That's super cool. Any future tattoos planned? It's getting
1: expensive now, so I really can't. (laughs) (laughs) I did the one on my leg and uh, my guy said, uh, I'm going to have to double it. I'm like, oh man, you already got me for I mean, gave me the discount, but yeah, it's like um, I might, I might hold off for tattoos for now.
0: Makes sense. I wish, I wish I was as responsible as you are. <laughs> so, Eric, where can people find you if you want them to? Um, where can they find your book if they want to check that out?
1: Um, yeah, my book is called "The Bomb Hunter Story: My Life Clearing the Roads of Iraq." Um, it's on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. Uh, people have been asking me for an audiobook, So right now I'm in the works of talking with someone to get that for me. So um, hopefully soon that might happen. Um, I haven't started it yet, but that might, it's going to come out. Um, I'm also on TikTok. Uh, my handle sapper720. So S-A-P-P-E-R 720. Um, I do videos on the Humvee, do just do goofy stuff. Uh, goofy stuff with my kids. So that's something to get it out there.
0: I love that. Uh, did you ever think of anything like TikTok when you came back and saw Twitter and YouTube and all that good stuff way back when? Uh,
1: so the only thing I had way back when was MySpace. <laughs> so that's a blast from the past. And um, I did have Facebook, but I rarely used it. Um, Twitter was new to me. Even YouTube was new to me. Twitter, I got on it maybe a year ago finally but I still don't go on it because it's a lot of mm-hmm. crazy stuff on there but TikTok I heard things about it and um, I think someone showed me a couple of videos and I got hooked right away I just had that dark sense of humor so the funny videos get me so that's what I try to do.
0: <laughs> I am going to definitely check you out I, I'm on there but I'm not really on there so I'm at least going to come find you Eric, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate you sharing your story and talking about your book and really giving some great advice to veterans, families, and the general public. So thank you so much.
1: No, thank you for having me.
0: I really hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Eric as much as I did. I truly appreciate his willingness to open up and talk about writing his book and what we can do to better support our veterans. So remember, until next week, you are strong enough and you are worth it. Thank you for listening to the Strong Enough podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform by searching Strong Enough. And on YouTube, we're available on the Spear Talk channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Strong Pod. If you have suggestions for an upcoming episode or a future guest, please reach out at strongenoughpod at gmail.com. Remember, you are worth it.